If y'all pray with me, we'll ask the Spirit's guidance through this. Father, we come to you and acknowledge that we are incapable of understanding your truth alone, that we need your help in understanding your words. We need your help in understanding the truth that you've given us here. We thank you that you've given us truth, and now we just pray that your Spirit would open our hearts to your message, that we would understand what you would have for us through this truth that is your word that we are reading today. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Um, it, so when we start off today, we kind of we need to remember where we left last week. And, and the last thing we talked about last week is, is about God being not within time as we know it. We see that verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. And we were talking about how that's, a, that's not saying that, it's not necessarily an argument for creation and how old the earth is, depending on all that, but it's more setting up the fact that God isn't in our view of time. That when we think a year, he's not bound by that same timeline. He doesn't fit on our linear timeline. He's above that. He's bigger than that. And we, and we, we see this thought continuing that he's not bound to this linear dimension of time. And, and Peter's continuing this thought when, when he says in verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his purpose, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. He's, he's not slow to fulfill his purpose, as some people count that. So he's saying there again, he's, he, you count it as slow, but he's not slow in that. He's, he's above time. He's outside of time. Um, there's a pastor and author named Paul David Tripp, and then he, on, on Twitter this week, he he said that, remember, 10 million years into eternity, we'll still be praising God for the very mercies that we are now tempted to doubt. And so, 10 million years, we can't, we can't fathom that. We're still going to be praising God for the very mercies we have today. He's outside of time. Eternity's not bound to what we think of time. It's bound in God, and that transcends our linear time. So, we can see that we're longing for something else. And that's what Peter's pointing us to. And that we understand that we grow through longing because we understand his patience now. We understand his patience. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his purpose as some count slowness. He's not counting, we don't count slowness the same way that he does. But what is it? He's patient towards us. And so we can long for something better because he understands that he is patience. He's not slow. God works in his time to fulfill his purpose. And, and a lot of times when we think of delay, our mind goes to tardiness, and we're still kind of in a culture that's driven on time. Uh, there's some cultures that aren't necessarily based on time um, as much as keeping appointments, but we're still that. And, and some of you might not be that way. Um, I know Lindsay and I are completely opposite when it comes to time. I like to be early. She's got it down to the minute of when she has to leave. And I'm like, but what if something happens? You're going to be late because I'm, I'm stuck on this. But but what we do is then we translate that to God. As we think, oh, well, he hasn't come yet. His promise isn't completely fulfilled because Christ hasn't come back. So he's late. He's tardy. And, and what, what we need to understand here is that he's patient to us. It doesn't mean that he's tardy. It just means that he's delaying. He's being patient. So what is the point of this delay? Okay? It's, it's for our good. His delay, the delay is for our good because he doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So what we see there is Peter, he's saying he's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient towards you. He, he's waiting 
for you. He's being patient because he doesn't wish for anyone to perish, that he wants them all to reach repentance. And what we see there is that his delay is actually good. His delay is so that people will come to the knowledge of him. And he's allowing that to happen. And <clears throat> we, we see this idea in the book of Habakkuk, the Old, Old Testament um, prophet there. In, in Habakkuk 2.3 it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will not delay. And we have that same thought here. Is that just because we think it's not happening, we're, we're counting him on our time. No, he's actually just being patient with us. He's being patient with the world and wanting everyone to come to repentance. And that's a, that's a key thing we need to see there is to come to repentance. He wants people to hear the gospel and understand that, that we need to repent of our sin, that we need a Savior. He wants us all to come to that. So the delay is actually a good thing. And a lot of times we turn the delay into doubt because it's not tangible, but yet it's actually a positive. And so this thing that we consider negative is actually a positive because if God is just as we say he is, then sin deserves punishment. Okay, And so it's a good thing that he's patient. We can long for something more because we see that he is patient because we deserved death. Yet he provided a way for us to be with him. And so we can grow through that understanding and realizing that his patience is for us. And a friend in college um, that his youth minister always told him, and he always said it every time we were talking about something, he always brought it up. Um, and he said that, that God is rarely early, but he's never late. And, and I love that. It always frustrated me when he'd say it because it's always what I needed to hear. And I was like, oh, I know, you know. But that's what we do. We, we think of God as being early or late. No, he's on time. He's the one that set the foundations of the world. He's the one that knew us before we created. So because there's a delay doesn't mean that it's not purposeful. It's that he's wanting people to come to him. The Lord's not slow. He's not tardy. He's not behind schedule. He's merely patient for us, allowing us a time as a good father would. But see, we often in our culture think patience is weakness a lot of times. If you're being patient with someone, it allows them to be in control. And we want to be in control. We can't do that with God. And that's what we see in verse 10, that first part of verse 10. Look at that. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. See, it's very critical there. We see that God is not wanting people to perish, that he wants all of us to reach repentance. And then he he adds in, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And that brings us to urgency. You don't know when a thief's coming. If you did, you would plan for it. You would make plans, but you don't. So it just happens. And then you wake up um, that, that next morning and, or when you get back and something has been stolen and you're like, you gotta be kidding me. And that's what Peter's saying that his return will be like. We can't look for his return because we're not able. It's a thief. It's coming like a thief. You can't plan for that. So it's not a use this delay for a time to live for ourselves, and then eventually, you know, when we're about to die or something like that, then I'm going to go, but you don't know that. You, you make preparations, you do what you can, and then you continue to live because you don't know when it will happen. You don't know that. So you cannot truly prepare for a thief because you don't know when it's happened. You make the preparations and you continue to live, and that's what Peter's saying. It's going to come like a thief. 
You don't know, there's no way we will know. So don't count his patience patience as an opportunity for ourselves, but count his patience as a display of his grace and mercy so that more people can hear the gospel, more people can come to repentance. And then finally, we, we should get to this point in our, in our maturity that we long for his purging. And this is this, this negative thing that we see, and it's the second part of that verse 10. It says, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the works that are done on it will be exposed. And then in the second part of verse 12, he says it again, that because of the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavens will melt as they burn. The, the heavens are gonna pass away. And there's, there's a lot of people on the spectrum of what does he mean by heavens? Does he, does he mean every creation? Does he mean just the world? Does he mean the spiritual aspect? There's a lot of debate. And, and what I think, and what I think scripture leads to is that the, the heavenly bodies is literally, is the earth, the creation. It's the creation the actual earth, the solar systems here, will, will perish. We saw that last week when we talked about that it once was destroyed by water. And then the next time it awaits to be destroyed by fire. And he's referencing this again, that they will pass away and they will be burned up and dissolved. There's a change that will happen. You see this in Romans 8. Paul speaks of the same thing when he says, it's 8.21, he says, the creation itself will be set free from bondage of corruption and obtain freedom to the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And Paul's saying that same thing, that, that even creation will be set free from its bondage. The, the sin that entered through Adam and Eve in the garden didn't just affect us personally, it affected creation. Creation was set opposite of God. It it failed to continue to exist as it created. So Peter's saying here is, yes, the day of the Lord's gonna come as a thief, and it's the heavens will pass away too. It's not just for us, it's for everything will be recreated, it will be exposed, it will be purged of the unrighteousness. Creation's gonna be cleansed. And you can look at pictures around the earth and you, you see some of the great, of course now you almost never believe a picture you see because we have the filters and all that and everything looks all perfect and manicured. But you see some amazing things if you've had to travel and then just think about what it will be after when it's actually how it's supposed to be. We get glimpses, but it's never here. It, it, but, but notice what he says in verse 10 that the, at the end of it. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. See, he adds us back into the equation here. He, yes, the heavens are gonna pass away. They're gonna be burned up and the works, the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's not only the earth is gonna be judged, it's gonna be us. It's gonna be what happens on the earth. We're not free from this judgment that he's talking about. We're not, we're not free from that. Everything will be exposed. And the only hope that we have is to be found in Christ because it's then his righteousness that we're seen for and it's that righteousness that allows us entry into God's family as we're adopted. He gives us hope in this purging because the works will be exposed and then that exposure, this purging leads towards the fulfillment of God's purpose and it's God's promise. And I think about it 
this is actually a good thing. Um, part of the stuff I have to do here at school when I'm working is I get lunch duty. So it's always an interesting time. Um, and the other day, there was a kid who wasn't feeling really good because it's typical school stuff. Everyone's getting sick now and they're passing. But, but there was this kid, he kind of felt bad. He was eating. And it was actually a good food day. So you can't blame the cafeteria food like everyone wants to. But he had, he had dumped his tray and he came back. And he was just walking and just threw up like right there on the floor. And then literally threw up and then just like strolled back to his chair and sat down like everything was fine. And it's like, one, you don't just go sit down. Like who says, all right, I just threw up. I'm going to go sit back down with everyone. But the reason was is because he felt better afterwards. What had been bothering him wasn't there anymore. And that's the same thing we see here is that the earth is going to be purged of that. It's, it's a process that needs to happen. It's not fun and it's not enjoyable as we see it, but it's a necessity. Because if the unrighteousness isn't purged out of this, if that separation between God and the original creation isn't removed, then it can't be new again. It has to be removed. This is a positive thing. That's why we can long for his purging. We can see the goodness in that is that unrighteousness will be found and it will be judged. The, the creation will be then made how is it supposed to be done from the start. We should live our lives in mind of this. And we see that <coughs> in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, everything, the, the earth and the works in it are going to be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, everything's going to finish. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? And what he's saying there is, should we live our lives then for this world when we know that it's going to end? Or what kind of people should we be in lives of holiness and godliness? We should be living towards that because we know what we have here will come to an end. So our focus should not be on this, but should be on that. We should long for this, this purge. We should long for this destruction of this earth because we know them there will be how it originally is. And that's a huge positive. Our eyes should be longing for God to do this. We should be looking for him to do this because we know what happens after that. We know the promise will be fulfilled. And we, and we know this will happen and we know his promise because we should be longing for his return because that's the end of his promise. And we grow through understanding that it's his promise that we will be fulfilled. So at verse 12, that we're waiting and hastening for the coming of the day of God. And then verse 13, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. We, have, we, we see the posture of God's people here. Our eyes should be fixed on the promise yet to come. We're waiting for it. We're looking for it to come. We're looking for that day when the, the king returns. And we should long with this for our entire being. That's why when something happens, our response should be, come Lord Jesus. We should want him to come. We should want him to come. But if we say that and don't really believe it, our eyes really fixed on him. There's a lot of times we, we might read that, come Lord Jesus, and we're like, wait a second. I kind of like what I've got going on right now. My life's been going good you know, things are looking up. I'm kind of good right here. But see, that's the wrong posture we should have as his people. We should long for his return. 
Because that's a return that completes the promise that was given to us. But notice, notice what else he says there in verse 12. We should be waiting for, and what? And hastening. This, this shows that we can have bearing on when this happens. If we're waiting for and hastening, we have a part in this coming. It's not this set time, which you, if you've looked back, there's been a ton of people try to say on this date it's going to happen and it hasn't happened yet. It's because it's not a set date on time because we've said that God's out of that time. It's going to come. And so we can wait for it and we can long for it. And by waiting and longing, we're going to live through the power of the gospel, which then is going to show us that we can preach the gospel everywhere. And that's actually going to hasten it. It's going to hasten it. We can affect this coming. God allows us to be part of his plan. There's not a set date, but yet a future event that will happen. The king will come back. And so that's why we're ambassadors of this promise. That's why we share the good news. It's because it's good news that we're not stuck here in this world, in this unrighteousness where we can't explain why people are the way they are apart from saying that we're sinful. He's allowed us to be part of this. We can hasten it. We can wait for it. We can long for it. It's that, it's that idea of when we have company coming, if you have kids, they're probably the same as Lindsay and ours, Keaton and Kelby. If they know we have friends or, or company coming over, what do they do? They stand by the door and wait for hours. They just look like, oh, are they there? Any reflection of a car pass, they run to the door. And, it, and, and we look at it and we think, that's kind of crazy. Why would you do that? That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing for our king. We're supposed to be looking for it, supposed to be longing, and that should be overwhelming to us, this desire of I want to see him come. Because it is promised. He will return. The promise will be fulfilled. He's already come. He lived the life that we couldn't. He died the death. He rose again, and then what? He will return. We should long for that. We should want to see him. We should want to see a new heaven and a new earth. If you will, turn real quick to Revelation 21. I just want to read a few things of this. Because a lot of times we're kind of scared of going to Revelation because it's hard to understand. There's a huge amount of debate over what's going to actually happen at the end. And we kind of, we'd, we'd rather not enter the debate sometimes. And so yet, we just forget about it. But this longing, this we should want him to come, we, we see why. We see why. In the first, Revelation 21, just the first one, John's describing what he's seen. He says, then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven." From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. God is with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is a good thing. This is a positive thing. We should look at this and, and want this. 
Verse 22, skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lamb of God and the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. God's glory gives light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is that lamp. And to this, in verse four, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The gates will never be shut. This is secure. If you, if you think of when John was writing this in the cities, what would they do for defense? They'd close the walls to keep people out. So when he's saying here that the gates aren't gonna be shut, there's no fear There's no threat. The gates will never be shut. And in verse 26, they will bring into the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we see this great picture of what's to come, and we should long for this. There's no more crying, there's no more tears, no more death. It's a, it's a completely positive situation. We don't need the sun or there's no night, there's no darkness because God is with us. He will dwell with his people and his glory is our light. We see that verse 27 there at the end of Revelation 21, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is something we should take note of. This is something we should look at this world and see that his delay is good. Because there are people that are found outside of this, that haven't heard the gospel, that haven't responded to that, that the Spirit hasn't had a chance through the hearing of this to come into their hearts, to create in them a new heart. And we see here that while what's coming is good, there will be those that are not allowed in it. This isn't include everyone because God is righteous. Anything unrighteous cannot be with him. He can't stand for that. So we should long and wait for this day because it is so good. And so we can say what a glorious day. But at the same time, we should preach the gospel. We should show those news because there are people that won't experience that. Because there's a whole other side of this and that's the judgment that will come. So we should long to see our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers understand this gospel and what it means. To not look at life now as simply what we have, but there's more to it. Because our hope is in him. Our hope is in him. We have hope because Christ came. And if we're ever honest about our lives, there isn't security. We doubt ourselves. There's one place we find security There's one place we find comfort, and that is in Jesus Christ. It's in being adopted into God's family through him, through his righteousness, not our own. It's his favor and love because he chose us that we should then live in obedience. It's not be obedient so that he'll love us. It's he loves us, so we're gonna do what he asks us to do, and that's to preach the gospel. It's to be witnesses, to be ambassadors, And that's why we do things that we do as a church. That's why we have baptisms because it's that example of what he's done for us. 
It's that picture of going in the water and coming out. It's that clean, new. And that's why we baptize. That's why we will observe the Lord's Supper because it's remembering what he did. And that's a way of then allowing us to remember and long all the more for the day when he returns. Those are positive things. They're symbols of what's happened and what will come. So we should look for this promise to be fulfilled because it's not delaying. He's not slow to fulfill it as we count that slowness, but yet he's being patient with us as a good father should. He's allowing us to partner with him so that those around us can hear the good news of the gospel. That's why it's good news is because we're not stuck here. This, this world isn't everything. There is something more. That's a new heaven. It's a new earth. It's God being with us. He's dwelling among us. And we should look at that and we should want that to happen now. Every second our life should be lived for that desire that he will return. Because that's when the promise will be fulfilled. And that's when we truly return to how we were created, separate no more from the God who created us. Let's pray. Father God, how awesome is it that that we know that your son will return. Yeah, that we know that despite our sinfulness and despite our unrighteousness, that you sent your son to die for us so that we might live and that one day he will return. And what a glorious day that will be when we can see our true king who can be in his kingdom. We can be secure in his arms and his protection and be surrounded by your glory through him. God, I just pray that we allow our hearts to be focused on this instead of this that is so temporary in this world.